Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of James, James chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible with you, I'm going to encourage you to use one of the Bibles in the pew in front of you. Make sure you have your eyes on Scripture. And uh, the reason for that, I always like to reiterate this a couple of times. Uh, The reason for that is because at the end of the day, we should ultimately care most about what God's Word says, not what Matt says. And if I say something contrary to what you see the Word of God saying, then uh, I want to encourage you to come have a conversation with me. Because whatever is said from here needs to line up with what is said in Scripture. And uh, my exhortation to you is to have that remain a priority uh, regardless of who is standing here teaching, uh, that we have an authentic culture that's rooted in what Scripture says, uh, not merely what we would want to hear. And uh, that's my earnest desire uh, for us as a church family. Um, This is week number four in James, and this will be the final week in James chapter one. We have been just going bit by bit through this, and uh, there's a lot here. And honestly, you could spend more than just four weeks here, and we would have plenty for us to work on and to wrestle with. (laughs) That's one of the beautiful pieces about Scripture. I can come back to it over and over again, and I guess if we're honest, whether that's a beautiful piece of Scripture or a frustrating part of Scripture where we come back to it, we go, ah, I still haven't gotten this. (laughs) Nevertheless, there is so many exhortations here. I encourage you to actually be reading through the book of James once a week. There's five chapters. So you could read through and still have two days off. But if you read through James every week, once a week, And read through it looking for something different. So uh, one way you can read through that is read through and look for all of the exhortations or the commands that are written in the book of James. And if you keep a journal, write those down. Uh, It's a humbling list when you get to the end of it. and You go, whoa, there's a lot of instruction. Uh, The other thing you can do is you read through and uh, write down every bit of encouragement. Where does... The book of James encouraged the believer in Christ. Uh, Think about reading through Scripture that way, and it will open your eyes to the depth of Scripture you may never have encountered before. Nevertheless, we come to this last section of chapter 1, and I want to read starting in verse 19, and I'm going to go through verse 27. And I want you to to follow along, and, and I want you to think about this in its larger context. Uh, Don't just separate out, because there's going to be a couple verses in here that some of you may go, Ooh, I've heard that before, because they're really, really commonly quoted. 
But I want us to take a perspective of seeking to see this through the lens of the whole, not just one verse. So starting in verse 19, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, as we step into this, may we do so uh, with our eyes opened. And may it not be something we merely quote, but something we live out. Use this transformationally in our life as the church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a frequently read statement in Jesus' teachings in the New Testament where Jesus, oftentimes when he's teaching a parable or an exhortation of some kind to a group of people, he makes this statement. He who has ears, what? Let him hear or let him listen. Now, interestingly enough, when we read that in Scripture, uh, we can come to two conclusions. Either one, there is a whole lot of somehow randomly earless people listening to Jesus, or present, or he's saying something else. And the logical conclusion we come to is that when Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear, what he's communicating is, even though you all have ears, not everyone is listening. He who has ears, let him hear what is being said In other words, the one who truly has ears, according to the words of Jesus, is the one who doesn't just hear the sounds of words, but takes heart in what is being said. The question can easily become, how do we know when someone is a hearer? How do we know when that person has ears to hear? Well, oftentimes the most logical aspect we look at is, did it change anything about who they are? Now, interestingly enough, in verse 19, when James exhorts the church, he's talking to believers here, and he says, know this, that that exhortation should cause us to perk up a little bit and go, oh, okay, this is important. Know this, pay attention, my beloved brothers, let every person... Say, every person. (laughs) This is not just to a handful of people. Let every person be quick to, what? 
quick to hear, quick to listen, slow to what? Speak and slow to... Okay, this is a very commonly quoted verse. And uh, one of the most oftentimes I hear that people quote this verse is to their spouse. The Bible says, you be quick to, quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, I'm not saying that you can't apply it to that. Because there is wisdom in, when you're, when you're conversing with anyone, there's wisdom to saying, okay, I'm going to be slow to voice my opinion, and I'm going to be quick to listen. Uh, we would benefit greatly in our culture today if we actually applied that. Uh, we don't, because we, we, often, we often listen in order to respond. We don't listen to hear. But the reality of what James is talking about here is specifically related to the Word of God. It's specifically in context just following this exhortation in verse 16, not to be deceived. And the further exhortation back that in verse chapter 6, that you will not be someone who is like a wave of the sea, tossed to and fro by the wind. And so if we follow this, this is where it's really important to recognize um, the, the, the subheadings in your Bible are not inspired scripture. Those breaks have been put in there after the fact. This, in fact, would have been one letter written in total sequence. It's one of the reasons I encourage you to read through the whole letter every week. Because if we just take that verse, what we're prone to do is apply it to anything and everything that you and I would want to, including the people who may frustrate us most. And yet, the finger is really meant to be pointed back to the believer to say, wait a minute, when you are under the instruction of God's word, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Well, that changes the dynamic quite a bit. Because then you see the exhortation here is, don't get angry with God over what he's exhorting you through his word. Don't be so quick to respond to the Word of God that you aren't hearing what the Word of God says. And one might ask, why is this exhortation here? And verse 20 brings it to light. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Man's anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, this is one of those areas where I say this is applicable in many different settings. Man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God in any scenario or situation. Now, some of you may argue, well, is there such thing as a godly anger? And to that we would say, yes, we see that in Scripture. The exhortation to be angry and sin not. And yet, when we step back and look at that, I have yet to meet someone who has mastered that ability. Because so often our tendency and our, what we're prone to is to be angry in the way we're angry. Instead of stepping back and saying, well, wait a minute, what are the things God is angry with? And more than that, what does it look like to be angry in the way God is angry? 
This is a very, very different thing than, well, I'm justified in my anger because I feel this way. That's a dangerous road to walk down. But the, the, the true reality is that man's anger actually distracts us from the things of God. The reason man's anger doesn't bring about the righteousness of God is because when I'm so blinded by my own anger, I can't see the things of God. All I can see is the thing that's making me angry. Some of you can attest to this personally. I can attest to this personally. A situation or a scenario. The other day, it was one more thing breaking down on my car. And you can ask my wife, when I walked in the door on Thursday evening, I was very frustrated. And in that moment, what was easier for me to be angry that my car once again was frustrating the living daylights out of me? Or to be content with where God has us in this season of life? I'm going to tell you, I didn't do such a good job. This is an ongoing battle when we allow anger to cloud what God has called us to. Um, I cannot tell you how many missed opportunities for gospel conversations I have had. Because I allowed myself to be angry rather than listen closely. I can't tell you the number of times standing in line at a store and I'm simply frustrated that I'm standing in line at the store. Right? I know I'm not alone in this. Or better yet, you're wheeling your cart up to the checkout line and what do you do? Hmm. Which line's going to go fastest? I have yet to meet someone who purposely puts themselves in the long line looking for a gospel conversation. Right? We just don't think that way. We don't because I'm on a mission and if anything interrupts the mission that I'm on, which is my personal mission, I get frustrated. There are many of you that cannot articulate the last time you saw God work right in front of you. But that isn't because he hasn't been working. It's because we have not been paying attention. So the, the, the reality becomes, all right, my anger, my impatience, those things don't bring about the righteousness that God desires, the righteousness of God. So then the question is, what will? What will bring about the righteousness of God? Verse 21. It says, therefore, this is, all right, it's, it's there following this realization. Man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Everyone say, put it away. It is way, way easier to say than it is to do, isn't it? Put away all... It, this is one of those areas where I, I wish I could stand here and tell you that Scripture is really broad here and saying, oh, just put away some of your filthiness. Just a little. You know, just do better. But it goes all the way, doesn't it? Put away all. Everyone say all. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And you can remember... Uh, if you were here last week or you listened last week, you remember last week's exhortation of who's to blame for my sin? Who, who is? Everyone say, I am. I am. I am to blame, right? So 
If I'm to blame when I make choices that go against the design of God's plan and purpose, that means I'm responsible for putting away these things that don't line up with that. But here's the problem. It comes back to verse 19. Too often, I am slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to be angry. And therefore, blinded to the things God is calling me to. And so the exhortation of James here is, no, 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 church body, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And as you do that, be always consistently putting away the sinful pieces of who we are. To regularly stop and evaluate and contemplate, how am I not living in light of the righteousness of God? And then how can I get back on track? This idea of receiving with meekness the implanted word. As I was studying this this week, I found a a definition of meekness that I just loved. Uh, And it simply said this, uh, meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. I'm going to read that again. Because I've read it probably ten times this week and it still is powerful. Meekness is the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Whew. My flesh does not like that. It does not. We like having a sense of importance. And the most common place that we feel we deserve to be important is when it comes to our plan. I made all these plans. I planned my calendar for the week. And what do you know? By noon on Monday, the plan's ruined. Right? And what causes me to be angry in that moment? It is most often the fact that I have elevated my own importance and my own agenda over what God is calling me to in that moment. But grasp this, this implanted word that we're called to receive with meekness. That's recognizing our own non-importance in the grand scheme of the whole. Is able to save your souls. Ephesians 1 verse 13. It says, in him. You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of, your, of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, the simple truth about the gospel is, apart from Christ, you're missing something. You are not complete apart from Jesus. And the reason you're not complete goes back to the Garden of Eden and the fact that when sin entered the world, it separated you from God. But God, being rich in mercy, being faithful, being slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, sent His Son on our behalf that if anyone believes in the name of Jesus to be saved, they're given the gift of eternal life. But you see, we really do a disservice if we stop there. 
It doesn't end with this deposit of, okay, check the box, move on, you're done, you're clear. But it goes further in what Ephesians 1 declares, that when you heard the word of truth and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the reason you're sealed is because the Spirit testifies and is the guarantee, this final stamp of approval of your inheritance that is co-heirs with Christ in eternity. And so from the point we make that decision to follow after Christ, all the way until He calls us home, it's meant to be a growing journey where I didn't arrive back here when I made a profession of faith. That was the beginning. That was the start line of my journey of what is intended to be. Every breath that I have in my lungs brings me to the place where I'm with my Savior. It starts with Christ. But here's the problem. If we allow ourselves to have ears but not hear, we miss the very core truth that can save us. You see, you can sit in church your whole life, family, and hear the gospel proclaimed over and over and over again. But if it has not transformed you, then that is not enough for you to spend eternity with Christ. If we simply hear, but we never take action, if I never believe, if I've never root into what it means to walk in faith, if I've only heard, then I need to be very leery of what I'm proclaiming. This is where the emphasis is uh, that comes next. Well, what, what should that look like? Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And that's the second, if you're taking notes, the second line of that. Don't just hear, do. Don't, don't just hear what's said. Do something about it. The person who hears but uh, does not do, it, it gives this image picture, right? Uh, it is, is like the, the man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and then he goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. Uh, it was entertaining. We were going through this text earlier in the week as a family and... So I was asking my kids, I was saying, okay, when you look at yourself in the mirror, uh, do you forget what you look like when you walk away? And they were like, no. And I forget which, which child it was that said, especially if I look really bad. Right? And in that moment, I went, that is a perfect gospel application. And on, on, I'm... I'm going to be transparent here, all right? Um, Transparent moment. One of my greatest struggles, personally, and you don't have to agree with me on this, right? One of my greatest struggles, personally, is the makeup industry. I really struggle. And the reason I struggle with this is for what it has done primarily to my sisters in Christ. And... Uh, really transparent moment in this. Like I, 
I, my wife is gorgeous just the way she is. Okay? But along the way, there is this idea bought into that we're not enough. And that all these imperfections need covered and glossed over. And, I mean, people spend millions of dollars. And I, I'll be the first to say, okay, ladies, you look lovely, all right? But, but I, I want you to hear, like, God, God doesn't see that through the lens of what culture says. And I struggle because over and over again, I, and now raising daughters in this, I feel like my, my attune to this is even greater because I go, I want my girls to know that they are, they are gorgeous. And yet we have this backdrop that says it's not enough. It's not enough. You flip that around to, to a modern day cultural mindset that permeates the gospel and what it's created is this concept of uh, inauthenticity in our faith. That more often than not, we're like the person who looks themselves in the mirror and walk away forgetting what we look like. When we see Scripture highlight our imperfections and our weaknesses, and maybe even our sin, we find something to put over top of them and we walk away and forget what the mirror revealed about who we really are. And therefore, we end up remaining unchanged by what we saw. The contrast to this person who looks in the mirror and forgets what they look like is the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. And some of your translations, I really appreciate where it says the one who looks intently into the perfect law. Church family... Here's, here's the truth and reality. Scripture is meant to reveal to us who we really are. But it doesn't end there. Scripture also reveals to us what we really need. And it reveals a solution. It's, it's Christ. It's Christ. Don't just hear. Do. Being no hearer, this is the end of verse 25, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. The third and final recognition here in verses 26 and 27 is a recognition that inauthenticity undermines our faith. Inauthenticity undermines our faith. And when it says, if anyone thinks he is religious, everyone say thinks. If he thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Everyone say worthless. It's worth nothing. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Uh, this is really a, a statement right out of Jesus' own teachings in Matthew chapter 12 and Luke chapter 6. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 Jesus says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. Now understand, he's talking here to the Pharisees. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good when you are evil? 
For out, this, this is really convicting, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Everyone say, whoa. Ooh. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Here's what that reveals. Uh, your mouth is a gateway to your heart. And that's, that's a hard statement to be able to identify and say, whoa, wait a minute. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, they deceive their heart and this person's religion, what they think they believe is worthless. That's inauthenticity, okay? Authenticity is I am what I say that I am. That there's not a, a variation. That I can't come and put on a face before you and then go home and treat my family terribly. I, 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 I could come and be who I need to be in church, but then I go to work and they would never even know I follow Jesus. Your mouth is a gateway to your heart. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. It's interesting, at the end of this, it gives two instructions as to what it, pure and undefiled religion before God looks like. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You want to know what some of the number one priorities of the church should be? To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep ourselves unstained from the world. And you think, wow, that seems really simple in speech. Yeah, let's live that out. Ooh. If I'm going to live authentically for Jesus, it means I have to recognize it's not about me. To visit orphans and widows, people in affliction, and to keep myself unstained from the world. Why? Because I know that in and of myself, I will not bring about the righteousness of God apart from Christ. It's not about me. It's about Him. And for years, church family, I convinced myself. I convinced myself that what people needed from me was togetherness. That somehow, some way, if I just kept myself together and appeared like I had everything together, that somehow people would affirm who I was and believe who I was. And yet, over time, what I discovered in that was nothing but depression and grief and sadness and anxiety and discouragement. And I'll never forget one of the darkest seasons of my life when we were in Oregon. And I had made it my mission to try and just have it together. And to really, in many ways, seek to be Jesus to other people. And as I sat in my house, it was one of the darkest seasons of my life. And I questioned whether it was worth me still living. I really did. And as I look back on that, I go, why was I in that spot? It's because I made, I made it about me. I made it about what I had to offer the church. I made it about what I could fix in people's lives. 
I made it about seeking to be everything to all people. And in so doing, I lost sight of the one who has given me life. And see, that's what happens when we shift our trajectory and we make it about the wrong thing. That in the scope of what God has called us to, if we slow down and we're quick to listen and we're slow to speak and slow to become angry with other people, with God, all of a sudden what we realize is God has simply called you and I to faithfulness. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be all things to all people. And it definitely doesn't mean that you have it all together. In fact, if you carry the persona that you have it all together, you undermine the very gospel by which we say we are saved. You know why that is? Because the first point of the gospel is recognizing I am not enough. I cannot do this on my own. My own works are insufficient to make for me a way to be like Christ. And so when we come to him in faith, we do so saying, I'm not enough. But don't stop there. But recognize that he has made a way where there seemed to be no way for us to be redeemed and brought into his family. And he's called us to himself. And that's where we find freedom. The law of liberty, that's freedom. He will be blessed in his doing. By putting up a front and trying to mask over who I really am, I'm trying to convince people of who I am, the gospel demands that I declare who Jesus is. When my focus is on my image, I undermine the very truth that salvation cannot be accomplished by me, but only His grace. As we prayerfully move towards an authentic way of living, church family, we have to begin by recognizing that it is not about us. It is about Christ in us. As you sit here today, he who has ears, let him hear that Christ gave his life for you. That you would be pulled from the clutches of death and raised to new life. Authenticity demands that you do something with that information. God does not call us to himself because we have it all together. Rather, while we are still in our sin, Christ died for the ungodly. May we take hope in that and in so doing be quick to listen to his words slow to speak and slow to anger recognizing what has been given to us in christ amen i'm going to ask the worship team to come up and as they do and they play this last song i just want to encourage you to answer the question of what will you do with what you have heard That we would not be people who are just hearers, but doers. And that we would apply that as we step into a new week. Father, as we come to you today, may we be a people who fix our eyes on you and don't just hear the word of Scripture, but who live it out and do what it says. Father, help us to realize where we have put a mask on and not been authentic and to simply walk faithfully as you already see us and that who we are as a church family 
would authentically glorify you and no one else. In Jesus' name I pray.